0: Hi, this is Sean Fenske, Editor-in-Chief of MPO and ODT magazines, and I'm here with another episode of Mike on MedTech. Joining me, as always, Mike Drews, President of Vascular Sciences. How are you doing today, Mike?
1: Good, thank you, Sean.
0: So today we're going to follow a a pattern that we had been doing before we kind of got sidetracked on the the mini-sub-series of the... uh, the uh, Bleeding Edge documentary that uh, has appeared on uh, Netflix. That was the last three podcasts we did, a, a short mini-series. And out of that actually sprang up uh, an item that I used for my October editor's letter in MPO, and that's the topic of today's discussion. That was uh, just to just to briefly give a little recap, but you can certainly read the article at the MPO website, and I'll link it below. Uh, we had gotten a... Uh, a a comment it was that it was actually with regard to an ODT column, uh, you know, involving the practice of medicine, the FDA's oversight of the practice of medicine, the fact that the FDA does not regulate the practice of medicine, yet they require instructions for use and there are labeling requirements that all tie into the practice of medicine. So bit of a bit of a you know a contrast there and the the reader comment specifically, and I'll I'll quote him, was the practice of medicine boogeyman is a sham excuse and doesn't answer the question of why instructions for initial use are required, but instructions for subsequent events are somehow different, and that relates to the uh, specifically in that letter it was about uh, implant placement and removal. There were instructions for use or there are instructions for uh, implants, but not for. Uh, removal should there be adverse events that would require removal. Uh, so, you know, we'll, we'll get into uh, some, of the, some of the points that were brought up in that letter. And, uh, Mike, I, I'll start with uh, the first point in the letter, in the October MPO editor's letter, and that was, if the FDA doesn't regulate the practice of medicine, why does it require or regulate instructions for use in the first place?
1: Well, it's a great question, Sean, and uh, as you point out, there is a certain degree of irony to that. (coughs) Excuse me. First of all, thanks for the opportunity to speak with you and your audience today. Uh, Before we drill into this topic, though, perhaps a good place to start is what exactly does this phrase, practice of medicine, mean? You know, it's it's a commonly used buzz phrase, but what does it mean? So when you hear that phrase, practice of medicine, Sean, what does that mean to you?
0: To me, that comes across as the doctor or surgeon in their normal uh, medical routine. But, you know, I, I certainly could be wrong, and please clarify for us.
1: No, in fact, you're, you're not wrong. You're, you're absolutely correct. Okay, Practice perfect. of medicine literally means how does the uh, clinician, a physician, a surgeon, a pharmacist, a nurse, whoever, Uh, how does how do they use our products in order to do their job whether it's a medical device or a drug or what have you Um, and as you pointed out FDA does not regulate the practice of medicine that is FDA cannot tell physicians what to do the only thing they can do is tell us meaning industry what to do and the simple reality is Sean Once our product leaves our door, and again, this is true not just for medical devices, but for drugs as well. Once our product leaves our door, we as a manufacturer have absolutely no control how it's going to be used. Um, And this gets into the very interesting topic, which I think we've talked about before as well, is off-label use and, and everything else. Simply put, a manufacturer can put literally anything on their label that they want, anything that they and the FDA agree use our product this way, do not use our product that way. But once again, the simple reality is once our product leaves our door, we have no control over how it's going to be used. Um, Which brings us to one of the biggest ironies, I think, in the medical device world, and that is, as you've pointed out, FDA does regulate our medical devices, but they do not regulate the procedures in which those devices are used. And the question for all of us is, we've been doing this for an awful long time, for for decades, but does it make sense? Can we separate the safety and efficacy of a medical device from the procedures in which they're used? In my opinion, absolutely not. It doesn't even make sense to try, but that's in fact what we've been doing for, de- for decades. And this is one of the many interesting differences between medical devices and drugs, Sean, and that is the... Efficacy and sometimes even the safety of a medical device is not only a function of the procedure, but it's also a function of the skill level of the user. In other words, simply put, I can put one device, say a catheter, in one physician's hands and get wonderful results. I can take exactly the same catheter and put it into another physician's hands and get abysmal results. So the safety and efficacy of a device is a very strong function of the skill level of the user. This is not true in the drug world. You know, if I give you a pill or if somebody else gives you a pill, you're either going to respond to that medication or not, but it has nothing to do with the skill level of the person giving that pill to you. Right. Does that make sense, Sean?
0: Yeah, I think that's, uh, that's a great explanation and, and overview uh, of it.
1: Um, now, coming, so I, back to the, coming back to the labeling, let me just finish my, my oh, response sure. to the original question, because uh, you were asking about uh, the instructions for use. I just want to clarify a little bit of terminology, because uh, unfortunately we get very, very sloppy sometimes in the use of our terminology. So what you're referring to, the phrase instructions for use, um, is analogous to directions for use. Um, And the reason why I point that out is because sometimes the phrase instructions for use is abbreviated IFU. I do not like to do that because IFU is also the acronym for indications for use. Long story short, and this Uh is a topic for a completely different discussion on labeling, but instructions for use is absolutely not the same as indications for use. Indications for use are part of what I call high-level labeling. Instructions for use, or as I like to refer to it, directions for use, uh, the the medical device equivalent in the drug world to what we call a package insert, that's what I call low-level labeling. So the directions for use, or the instructions for use, if you will, are basically the um, the, the the steps um, on on how the user should use that particular product, that particular medical device. So technically, FDA does regulate these things in terms of uh, the labeling. It's factually incorrect to say that they do not. They do regulate them. They just can't enforce them. Does that make sense? In other words, FDA will review the directions for use along with all of the other labeling as part of the uh, medical device clearance or approval process. But whether or not a physician or some other user actually follows them or, for that matter, even reads them, that's totally beyond the control of the manufacturer. That's also totally beyond the control of the FDA.
0: Okay. Okay. I I think you've definitely made that clear now. Um, so then, getting it is back, a little
1: bit confusing. I know.
0: <laughs> so so, getting back to the reader's uh, comment, um, you know, is it is it fair to say that they that they they make? I mean, you, you kind of already already clarified or, or confirmed. But is it fair the comment that they make that it is a bit of a an unusual situation that the the FDA will regulate the instructions for use or, and not. Uh, you know, and, and that's the reason, but pra- I'm sorry, practice of medicine is given as the reason for why the FDA wouldn't uh, regulate or require a, a subsequent uh, instructions for use, such as uh, a removal procedure.
1: So I think the question from the reader is a very interesting one, and uh, the comment that they make in certain, in certain ways is, is correct, but in other ways it's not. So really, what it comes down to is the labeling, the intended use of the device. So if this is a device that's that's intended to be used over and over again in some way, another I don't mean reusing a device. Uh, that the that the same device, uh, maybe it's a it's a second treatment using the device. Maybe the device needs to be adjusted, for example. Think of a think of a, a, a orthodontic appliance, uh, kind of like braces, that need to be adjusted from time to time. That need to be uh, made a little bit bigger every couple of weeks in order to expand the the jar or something like that. In that particular case, when the labeling uh, indicates the adjustments to be made over time then that should be reflected in the labeling and that would be subject to uh to FDA oversight at least in terms of the labeling but not in terms of what the physician or the dentist would do the scenario that that we raised in our discussion of the netflix documentary is with regard to permanent implants and if at some point that permanent implant would need to be removed for whatever reason, whether it's because the device has a defect, the patient develops an intolerance to the device, whether the patient uh, doesn't need the device anymore. There's a litany of reasons why a, a device may be removed. Now, here's where it gets a little bit interesting from a regulatory perspective, Sean, because if a device is indicated to be a permanent implant, and by the way, what do you think the word "permanent" means, Sean? I'm curious.
0: Uh, for I mean, hey, permanent for me would mean you know it's it's going to be in there for at least the lifetime of the patient. But uh, one would
1: like to think that would be certainly <laughs> the common sense understanding, but. Permanent, in the regulatory sense, does not in fact what you mean what you just said. Uh, a permanent implant is not intended to, meet, to, to, to be in place for the rest of your life. As a matter of fact, breast implants, for example, were never intended to be in a patient for the rest of their life. The regulatory definition of a permanent implant is greater than 29 days. Why is it 29 days as opposed to 60 or, or 100 or 10 or whatever? I won't get into that. But permanent doesn't necessarily mean what you think it means. Right. More importantly, if a device is indicated to be a permanent implant, and let's just assume for the sake of discussion that it, we, we do mean that it's to be in the patient for the rest of their life, then, strictly speaking, from a regulatory perspective, one could argue that if the device is actually removed by the, by the surgeon, then that is off-label use because that is inconsistent with the uh, intention of the permanent implant. Therefore, from a regulatory perspective, a manufacturer would not be obligated to uh, have a, uh, uh, a, a removal procedure. Now, let me be crystal clear because I don't want you or anybody in our audience to, to misunderstand what I'm saying here. I'm not suggesting that manufacturers of permanent implants should not have removal procedures. On the contrary, I think it's their obligation to have a removal procedure, not necessarily because it's required, because as I just said a moment ago, it's not required, but because it is the right thing to do. And as they pointed out in that Netflix video, some number of patients, whether it's a a few or more, some number of patients might not be able to have that particular device in them for the rest of their life. So from a regulatory perspective, Sean, I just think it's a little kind of... um, well let's just say interesting that if a permanent implant is surgically removed, one can construe that as off label use, and therefore, by extension, no uh, removal procedure would be required. That would not be something that I would advocate, but that would be some uh, a conclusion that one could easily draw based on a strict interpretation of the regulation. And as a result, perhaps the regulation does need to be changed. I'll leave that to others to, to decide, but, uh, but, but that's the way I see it.
0: Right, but I, I, do, I do think it's a, an interesting uh, uh, caveat, and some would say a scapegoat, <laughs> to say that uh, the removal would be off-label, but it does bring, it, it's certainly a, a valid and interesting point that you do bring up. Right.
1: Um, It's kind of, you know, it's kind of to use, I'm not sure if this is an appropriate metaphor or not, but consider an automobile, a car, right? So your car comes with an instruction manual on how to drive your car. But God forbid, if you're in a car accident, should that manual also include instructions on how the fire department can can get you out, uh, you know, of the car if it's if it's smashed up? You know, again, I don't think it's a particularly great metaphor, but I do think it illustrates the point.
0: Right. No, I I agree with you that it that it does. Um, okay. So so another uh, a point related to all this that I brought up in my in my letter, and it was something i had heard from other people. Um, really you know more more than a, a couple times was was that the FDA should perhaps be restructured uh so i tied that into kind of kind of this argument and this discussion in that hypothetically if if the fDA was going to oversee some elements of the practice of medicine, which, as we kind of discuss it more in depth, sounds like a greater nightmare than I imagined uh, when I came up with some of these questions uh, but still we'll'll we'll we 'll we'll, we'll go forward with it if the if the FDA, would it make sense to have an exclusively health-centric agency, uh, you know, in other words, remove the, the food, cosmetic, tobacco aspects out of the FDA and, and put them, you know, elsewhere and have a purely centric health, health-centric uh, uh, agency? I mean, is that something that's, uh, you know, a realistic goal? Is it something that maybe could happen somewhere along the, along the way? What are your thoughts?
1: Well, it's a very interesting question, Sean. So, first of all, for many, many years, I've been a strong advocate of restructuring FDA for a whole bunch of different reasons, and perhaps that can be a topic of a conversation in and of itself. But specifically with regard to the practice of medicine, once again, let me be crystal clear, I have never, ever, ever advocated that FDA should regulate the practice of medicine. I think... Uh, with all due respect to my many friends at FDA, that has disaster written all over it in every way. <laughs> so uh, that's just not FDA's mission. Uh, the, the 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 point of our discussion today, I think, is simply as a reminder to uh, all of our industry friends, um, and, and and that is that. Of course, labeling is important and directions for use is important and everything else, you know, all those things are important. But at the end of the day, how an actual user, whether that is a surgeon or a physician or a nurse or a pharmacist or even an individual in their home, as more and more medical devices are now home-based, as you know, Sean, uh, how the actual user uses our device, regardless of what's on our labeling, is totally up to them and it's beyond the control of the manufacturer, and it's beyond the control of the FDA. And that's not necessarily a good thing or a bad thing, but it is something that we have to realize in order to understand the world in which we live and uh, ultimately to make the world and our industry a better place.
0: Okay, fair enough. Uh, So, so... We'll, we'll go forward. We'll, we'll quickly move away from that <laughs> and uh, and get on to something a little more closely tied to the, the medical device industry, and that's the idea of, you know, with, with new technological advances, you know, we're seeing things like additive manufacturing emerging and growing in use. Um, those same technologies allow some unique uh, for lack of a better word, business models where perhaps we could see additive manufacturing technologies in the healthcare environment directly. So whether or not it be in a surgical suite or whether it be in, you know, a a central supply location, something like that, where, you know, patient scans are being used to make personalized healthcare uh, devices, whether those be implants or a surgical instrument or what, you know, whatever it is. you know, what about that aspect? You know, Would the FDA then need to since we are talking about a manufacturing-type environment, you know, but it is in the hospital, would the FDA then need to step in and, and, you know oversee that area, or would it just need to validate the machine prior to going into the hospital? I mean, how might that model work, and you know, if it is something that emerges in healthcare?
1: Well, once again, Sean, it's a a terrific question, and thanks for the opportunity to have this discussion. Uh, Personalized medicine, whether we're talking about uh, 3D printing or what you refer to as additive manufacturing on the medical device side of the world or the pharmaceutical equivalent, what we call pharmacogenomics, on the drug side of the world, personalized medicine does represent some very significant challenges to our current regulatory paradigm. Let's face it, Sean, our current regulatory system has been based on what I call the blockbuster model. In other words, you're making thousands or hundreds of thousands of medical devices, you're making thousands or hundreds of thousands or millions of pills, what is it that you have to do in order to test them? You're giving all of those medical devices to the same... To, to, sorry, let me say it this way. You're giving uh, the same medical device to a whole bunch of different people. We're giving the same drug to a whole bunch of different people. That is, in fact, the blockbuster model, and that is largely what the uh, current regulatory uh, uh, system has been, has been uh, founded on. But personalized medicine turns that model totally upside down. As you pointed out, we are now making uh, one medical device for one patient. Uh, On the pharmaceutical side of the world, we're making one pill for one patient, and that presents all kinds of uh, challenges from a regulatory perspective in terms of manufacturing, in terms of clinical trials, in terms of verification and validation. I, you know, I have potential solutions to all of these, which are uh, a little bit beyond the scope of this discussion. Some of this we've talked about in, in some of our previous podcasts. But simply put, if a physician prints a medical device, let's say a knee, right in the OR and then immediately implants it into the patient, or alternatively, if a physician or a pharmacist prints some pills in the back of a doctor 's office and gives them to the patient on their way out of the office and by the way sean that 's not star trek. we have the technology to to do exactly that right now i 've helped to, uh, to to develop some of that myself, as you can imagine that does present some some pretty strong uh, pretty significant regulatory challenges. I think the solution in a nutshell, Sean you, you hit the nail on the on the head a moment ago uh, by pointing out that FDA approves medical devices and drugs but they do not approve the procedures, the manufacturing methods in which they're they're made. And 3D printing and all of the other, you know, associated technologies is nothing more than a new manufacturing method. Right? Mm -hmm. So um, we need to have a new regulatory model uh, for personalized medicine that's based on logic, hopefully logic from biology and engineering, not based on precedent, not based on uh, what we have done in the past. And by the way, some people have suggested that we need a different approval process for personalized medicine of of, uh, medical devices like 3D printing versus personalized medicine for drugs. I'm absolutely against that. I think if we construct it carefully and properly we can use exactly the same approval process for both types of technologies. Um, So really what it comes down to, Sean, is how you define manufacturing. You know, think about it this way. If you're making millions of medical devices or millions of pills in a factory somewhere, most people would think of that as manufacturing. Okay, well, if you're making only one pill, Uh, or you're making, you're 3D printing one medical device in an OR, for example, most people don't think of that as manufacturing. So, all right, then that means that if millions and millions of pills or devices are manufacturing, but one or a few of them is not, that implies that at some point in that spectrum of numbers in between, we can draw a line such that you know, as long as we're on one side of the line, we're not doing manufacturing, once we cross over that line we are suffice it to say in the thousands and thousands of pages of regulation that we have including all of the the quality regulation never once in there do we actually define what manufacturing means i personally don't think that's the solution i don't think we should have a discussion on you know whether one or two or five or ten or a hundred or a thousand or a million is manufacturing what's important here is that we validate the manufacturing method in other words, whether we're making one thing or a million things, the most important thing here is that the thing that's coming out of our machine, whether it's a pill, whether it's a device, is what we, what we expect it to be. Um, I know I've gone through an awful lot there, Sean. I'm not sure <laughs> if, 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 if that makes any sense, but feel free to follow up with some, some questions.
0: Well unfortunately, I think that 's all the time we have, but that may be a jumping off point for an upcoming podcast where we we go more into depth on that very topic and I think that would be a certainly a good one uh, given you know what 's happening in the industry with additive manufacturing and three d printing and uh, you know i don 't want to say a lack of regulatory oversight of those, but certainly uh, a regulatory system that may not be up to par uh, for for overseeing that area. It definitely
1: um, can use some improvements.
0: <laughs> that's fair. Uh, so so with that, we're going to wrap up uh, this this uh, this session and uh, appreciate you listening. And like I said, we may have a uh, a topic for an uh, the next one or at least an upcoming one. But uh, for Mike Drews, I'm Sean Fensky. This has been Mike on MedTech from the MPO uh, and ODT magazines. Till next time, thanks a lot.